Chasing Squirrels podcast. I love, I love, I love, I love the fact that my podcast has allowed me to connect with so many amazing educators and individuals that are connected with education. Some people that aren't even in the classroom, but really are passionate about making education better. And one of the things that I've learned in pursuing this podcast, um, and as it kind of, I guess it's kind of creeping up above hobby level. Um, One of my major takeaways is that it is really cool to get outside of my school board for for a bunch of different reasons. But by getting outside my school board, I find that it completely, completely reinvigorates even even issues and things that I find are very similar in other school boards. Just the fact that you get that idea of another educator, another comrade is going through it and the potential that they got a different angle to come at it. I love it. Second, I love getting outside the school board because not every school board gets all the same opportunities. Different school boards have different specializations. So just by reaching out, you do get a peek at stuff that's entirely new. And third, I feel as if I'm doing a really great job. I don't know, this is a bit of maybe a passion project. When I get to reach out and talk to someone that works in the elementary panel, I feel like somehow I'm deepening my understanding of the full picture of education. I work in secondary, and I feel like sometimes I don't get to the K-12 to conversations that I would love to be a part of within my own board. So it's a little self-serving, but my kids are in elementary school right now side note but the fact of it is by reaching out and talking to people that are elementary teachers it just it fills in some of those missing pieces and i gotta say the guy that i get to talk to tonight is someone outside my board someone that is teaching in the elementary panel and also i will say flat out and i already told him i'm gonna gush a little bit when i look at what his digital portfolio is and the learning that his students are doing, I say to myself, this is on point, and this is exactly, exactly what I love to see um, kids doing in education, repping so well digitally, repping so well in real artifacts that connect with the real world, and definitely having fun. So I'd like to uh, welcome Jay Dubois to the show. Jay, how are you doing? <laughs> at this end too um thanks for having me on this is uh something new for me and um i i I say to a lot of my friends and colleagues this is my year of saying yes so i i'm uh saying yes to every opportunity uh pushing myself out of that comfort zone once in a while and it's um it's always paying off um just to quickly introduce myself i i am a primary junior teacher so i'm one of those guys uh back in teachers college back in the day where i'm in a section of um uh, at, at Teachers College where there's uh, 25 of us in a, let's say, a, a math class and um, three of us are guys. And I've always kind of had that, um, I, I, I guess in a sense, in, in the world I'm in, in primary, junior, uh, to a certain extent, I've, I've always kind of stood out. <laughs> I, I just look different, I sound different. And that's been something I've really worn with a, a, a badge of pride over um, the years. And when I take a look at that continuum and you're talking about the K-12 and the secondary, uh, PJ is, is something that was neat to me. It spoke to me because I, I see my role as a, as a teacher and as an educator truly kind of being in the, the front lines, right? Uh, the, these friends are joining us and, and they're new and they're excited and they're open and they're sponges. And to be part of that process and point them in the right direction early on has been really satisfying. Um, so yeah, I've spent many of my years between the grades of grade one uh, through four, currently in grade four this year and, and loving it. Um, and as a teacher, just always trying to evolve. But I'm going to say this, I, I, I think when I had my own children and my, my kids are now in, in uh, elementary school themselves, and I see my kids coming back home and I'm putting on that dad hat, and I'm looking at education and classroom time, that's six and a half hours every day with those kids, with a very, very new lens, and I'm thinking, what did my kid do today? 
How do they engage with what they're learning? Um, yeah, they love their teacher, but can they speak to something exciting that they learned, something that they created? Um, how are they connecting? Um, are they within those four walls or are they like are boundaries being pushed? And seeing that and having those, asking myself those questions has greatly changed what I've done in my own classroom for the past two years. And um, it's a question I probably ask myself every day. Would my son be having fun in my class right now? What can I do that's gonna make this feel real for him? How can I make learning uh, feel as authentic as possible for kids? How do you keep engaging kids that are eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, where their attention spans are, are, are short and fast, but they're curious and there's energy? How do you tap into that and, and keep on top of it and, and, and point that energy in the right direction? So that's kind of been my, my uh, big guiding um, umbrella, I, I, I suppose, uh, where at the end of every day, I'm thinking, how did I do? And do kids want to come back to my classroom tomorrow? What are they gonna remember from today? What did I do where I pushed myself to, to, um, to, to challenge them and challenge myself along the way? What do we learn together? Um, so sorry, that was a very long-winded, short introduction, I guess. No, man. No, man. <laughs> like I said, this is, the, I, I, I will, I have the, you know, lots of stuff that I've learned on the technical side of this is that the, the greatest tool that I can use is listen, dude, like just to, to let you get the story out. Um, I was talking to someone else. Here's, here's what, here's what you kind of make, uh, some of my thought feel on this. Um, you know, I had a, a former colleague way back in the day, uh, when, she was about to go on mat leave or pat leave, I guess, go on pat leave. And she came back and we were in the same department. And I can remember her, her saying, it was sort of she had been back for a couple months, kind of getting her stuff all rolling. And she said, you know what? Becoming a parent has actually made teaching easier. And I didn't have any connection because at the time I didn't have children yet of my own. My life was sort of existing in the school and working with the, you know, your surrogate family, so to speak, at that point, mm -hmm. right? And it's funny, but I've often gone back to that. And I love how I love how you connect value to value and noticing and paying attention to the wellness. Well, okay, so dad, of course, you're paying attention to the wellness of your children, but kind of using that as a as a reasonable leap off point to do a better job. Well, and, and I wonder, too, did it become easier? Did it actually become did teaching become easier? Mm -hmm after children that, that that's a huge question and and i think you're right like it, it it kind of took me in a sense to have my own kids before you truly realize everyone in your class is someone's kid right and to have that lens and look at it from that way and it, it changes your motivation on like it it, it 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 made me rethink my role and the importance of that and um as as educators the responsibility we're given to receive all these children who belong to these families who want the best for the kids every single day and, and are hoping those kids are successful and become these, these grown-ups that live these, these lives of contribution. It doesn't matter what age your student is in your classroom, to think of it that way is, is just a bit of a shift. And I would say that teaching has not become easier since I've been a dad. I would say it's more challenging. I honestly think I'm harder on myself. Um, I think... Hmm. I, I think um, I have those moments where, you know, my, my kids have had some amazing educators and some educators where some experiences might be a bit more forgettable, uh, perhaps, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, we've all had those experiences and those, those teachers yeah, stand out for us. And we forget, a lot of, uh, we forget a lot of the teachers along the way, too, because just certain experiences didn't click and connect with us in certain ways. So when I think what I want my son and daughter to do when they go to school and, and the fun and the, the, that, that connection piece, and I want them to come back and be like, wow, I did this. Those days where that happens, I'm like, fantastic, right? Like, kudos, kudos to, your, to your teacher. Um, but I now then, when I look at myself and ask myself that same question, think, you know, I have, you have those rough days. And I'm like, wow, what did I do? Right? Like, how did I let those kids down today? Um, was my kid let down today by someone who's having an off day or what was going on? It's just those questions where I'm like, I want them to want to go to school. I want them to then also learn skills that seem realistic and authentic and mm -hmm. match what they're doing on their free time. 
So if my son can come home and jump on his iPad and create a green screen video, put that on his blog, uh, do some voice typing, and put that out for the world to see, if he can do that on his free time, then how is he being challenged in the classroom as well? And, and what sorts of tools right. are, being, are, are, are being looked at? So I ask myself all the time, so I'm pulling in lots of tech because that's the way the kids see the world. That's the way these kids see their parents view the world. It's, it's through screens and I, as, a, as a teacher in, in primary and junior, I feel like we have this really great opportunity to be the ones that can help shape what that experience looks like with technology shape what that experience mm -hmm. looks like on, in, in the digital world. Um, and because of technology, we can break down the four walls of that classroom and make experiences meaningful and uh, make those experiences stick. And because that's what I want for my kids. So I, to answer your question, I, I, I think I'm harder on myself, but because of that, I know I'm pushing myself in ways I haven't done before. And I would say I'm working harder than ever before, but I'm more satisfied about what's happening in my classroom. And I love talking about it. I love sharing things that are working. I, I, it's, it's great to kind of take the energy of what worked in the classroom. And like, you know, I threw that in today. I saw, I saw this in the media. I thought, if this shows up, you know, like I, I see this here. Why can't the nine-year-old kids in my class create that product themselves to speak about this curriculum expectation or that curriculum expectation? How can we make how they do their learning and their sharing look like real world? Because when I pitch my subjects, my tasks, and, and my projects, my inquiries in that way, the engagement and excitement for kids to get started, get their hands on that iPad or get that Chromebook booted up, it's bar none. Like it, they are super, super stoked to, to get started and they rush over when they're done and they want to share their thinking. They're looking for that audience. They're feeling really proud um, and they're happy to go put it in a blog afterwards or throw it into some sort of e-portfolio and keep it and know that they get to look back at it again. So I'm thinking, that's cool. So it's I love that you brought up the blog because that right now is in a lot of ways the most accessible way to share, you know, learning of all kinds, right? I mean, whatever you desire... Oh, yeah to sort of find out something deeper, you can you can post and curate and share. I can remember um, it was probably somewhere, I've had one kind of cool interaction with George Kuros where I went to a session that he was at and he was talking about the necessity of having digital portfolios and finding in general that the predominant philosophy was that's dangerous, like to sort of post stuff out there. And it starts to sort of start those really great conversations about digital citizenship and sort of who's your audience and the, you know, the, the forums that need to be signed off. So that all notwithstanding, I really took a lot of, I really took it to heart that I needed to share my reflective practice and I needed to encourage my students to share their reflective practice. And then kind of lo and behold, my, my board started to move into a modern learning frame and they said, yes, reflective practice is as important for any, any learner. So you have, you have a blog that represents um, some of your, your learning and also represents some of your students learning. I I'm curious about, I'm curious about, how you nurture that blog. I'm curious about the decisions that are made about posting something over another or encouraging, you know, the activity to flow backwards or, you know, it could be you writing it, but instead you ask a kid to write it. What, where did you start and where are you now with your, I, I'm going to call it your, your learning portfolio, your blog. You know, that's really interesting because I, I think before I had students kind of, um, work on creating this 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 history of, of their learning and I, and I love bringing that up every day like you are going to love it when you're my age and you can go back jump in your google drive and check out this video you cut in my classroom talking about you know the, this um issue that you're passionate about and like you're such a lucky kid because i wish i could go back and and and, and see that myself um so when I started my own blogging, it was the same time I started Twitter, which was about a year and a half ago. And I don't, I, I almost can't remember what sparked it, but I just kind of said, you know, I'm, I feel stuck. Um, but I, I tried something that was successful. So I found every time I am blogging, often it's kind of been a bookend to something where I've tried something new. And to me, it gives me a sense of closure in a sense to kind of reflect, look back and say, did this, tried this, 
you need to try this too because I saw this excitement here. So a lot of my blog posting has been um, on student projects and student work that I was excited about mm -hmm. um, and just kind of looking mm -hmm. back saying, I need to do this again. Um, I encourage other teachers to give it a try. Hey, connect with me. I'd like to help you out. Um, through doing that though, in becoming that reflective teacher um, and doing it from my own intrinsic rewards in a sense and, and Twitter, the same sort of thing, like that's like almost like micro blogging in 140 characters where, do you yeah, know, exactly. like, I'm like, I'm going to take this idea. My student did this today. This worked, put that out there. And if people are listening, I don't know, but if, if that helps one teacher say, Oh, cool. I didn't think of it that way. Then it was totally worth the 40 seconds it took me to put out into the Twitterverse. Um, blogging is a bit more in depth, so I don't do that quite as often. So um, I'm on Twitter quite a bit trying to just push out content and it's usually student driven success stories. I'm like, my student created this, they were proud of this, give this a try. Hey, did you think about looking at it through this media lens or have you tried using this app to show math thinking this way? Hey, that's creative. Uh, my, you know, um, my, my blogging's a bit more uh, reflective. I'm sitting, I'm, I'm chewing on things for a little bit. And yeah, when mm -hmm. I look back, I say, usually it's at the end of a big project or a big end of a big inquiry. And it almost like it gives me permission to say, okay, move on. New big inquiry starts tomorrow. No, I like, it's funny because it's, um, God, it's, it's, it speaks to, I love the fact that you feel like the task, the, 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 the moment of capturing your thinking is what gives you the permission to move on. And it right away connects with another conversation that I had with um, Jonathan So, where we were talking about what does a, what does a grade list classroom look like? And I think you've hit directly on one of the tenets of a gradeless classroom. It's going as deeply into your inquiry as you do your reflection, and it will tell you that's enough. You'll know it. Like you, I think that's it's a, it's a really that's a really elegant way to start. I think the conversation around you know how do we move to sort of like this uh, a far better feedback loop with students and move away from grades chasing. That's brilliant. I, yeah. I, it totally clicked something off for me there. Well, and, and, and likewise, but because, uh, I mean, I, I do that blogging and you're talking about, um, going gradeless and uh, a big new piece I tried this year, um, was using single point rubrics where kids, mm -hmm. are, kids are reflecting first and they're filling out their own self assessments on everything we're doing. Um, and that's really changed things for me because what that does, it forces students to kind of become more accurate in their self-assessments. And when we're talking about kids in grade three and grade four, you know, it's the beginning of the year and they're giving themselves level threes and everything. And that discussion and that scaffolding becomes, okay, but are we? And what criteria could you say could use more work? What's that small bump up? What's that one little goal that you're going to set for yourself? And if you think you're exceeding something, that's cool, but write about it, prove it, tell me how you've exceeded the expectations, the criteria are there for all of us to see. So when students are the first ones to be the assessment voice, um, it's honoring their, their role in the, in the whole um, feedback loop. So they're filling out this rubric first, they're looking at their own work. We have a quick chat about, you know, you know, we are setting goals and even if you think you're threes and mm -hmm. everything, we can always For improve sure. what's your go-to. And within a matter of months, kids are writing goals that match what I would have written for them. So when it comes to report card time, I'm able to use some of their very own language as their goal setting. So so-and-so has decided that they need to increase da-da-da-da-da and I can kind of say, I agree with that and I also have my assessment from your work that can can prove that from my end too from a from a teacher perspective. So students now know that they don't get off the hook without reflecting, without goal setting. And it's everything all the time always and they're always that first voice that gets to go there. And what I've seen is that kids end up becoming very realistic and they say here's a criteria. I know that um that wasn't level three. I'm giving myself a level two and 
I know this is now a goal. So Mr. D is going to say, hey, you're right. That's what we need to continue to work on next time. Um, and then I, get, I, I collect all the rubrics and I get my highlighter out and I highlight where I think they're at. And over time, they get more accurate and they're starting to meet what I'm seeing because they were part of that process the entire time. Mm -hmm. um, so that reflection piece and connecting back after has been huge. It's finding the time to do that and prioritizing the time mm -hmm. for kids to, yes, products created or they've finished publishing, whatever it is, but you're not done yet. Now you need to tell me about it. And that's where I, I use Seesaw right now, but um, next year I might even use something as simple as Google Slides, where every day they're dumping their work onto a new slide and they're putting their reflection language around that. I want to see how their reflection language improves. I want to see how their goal setting improves. I want to see if they're becoming realistic of where they see themselves as a learner when they're comparing themselves to criteria. And I'm really hoping that they can kind of start to see and, and understand that there's a trend. And I'm really good at these sorts of things. I'm a very good communicator, but I'm noticing that mm -hmm. I'm struggling with computation. So that's my go-to. So when we start looking at these kids loosely, and they don't know it, but they're looking at learning styles and we're helping guide that conversation, we're creating a learner that's getting uh, uh, an education on a skill set that it's, it doesn't matter how old you are. We all use that same process. So the earlier we yeah. honor the kid's voice in that process, the better for the kid. Um, and it's been very positive. I was very hesitant to start. I was nervous. Um, but I enjoyed it so much, I actually um, pulled some colleagues together and uh, that single point rubric and that self-assessment, that's the, that's the backbone of a ministry um, TLLP project that we're working on next year in my board. And it's um, using technology and giving kids a wide array of choices. So let's say it's math and they need to show their multiplicative thinking. I, I, our end goal is to say to a kid in grade three, a kid in grade five, a kid in grade six, okay, so you know what the task is. Um, what tool are you going to choose? And how can you tell me that that's the best tool you could have selected? And hopefully that kid will say, mm -hmm. I chose an oral, I, I did a, a Flipgrid vlog today to share my thinking because I'm a great speaker, I, I'm not a great writer, I get hung up on punctuation and I, and I start to give up, but I can talk forever and I know I'm a, a clear thinker that way. If that kid can self-reflect and say, I'm a strong speaker, um, can I use that tool, please, sir, and advocate for themselves as they move forward with other teachers in other years? That's that's kind of the, the genesis of, of where our big ministry project's going for the next um, year-long cycle. Um, so really excited to dig more into this idea of self-assessment, and really it's all about developing a reflective learner. And a key piece to that is us as teachers involved in that project modeling reflective learning. So we are doing video logs, we are doing reflective updates, we are going to be doing this sort of piece where we're self-assessing in front of kids as an everyday practice. So they see that that's where, like the teachers are modeling that too and we're doing this process together and that everyone's endpoint mm -hmm. might be different. Um, so we're excited because we think that we're onto something there. I, I would love for my own kid to come home and say, I got to choose how I showed this today and I rock at blogging, so I chose to blog about it. And my neighbor, um, he used chatter pics and he made his picture talk and he did a real cool way. Like to me, that that's where we have the power with technology now to differentiate, give kids multiple entry points, um, develop confidence and, and make them reflect. It's huge. It's, yeah, it, and, and I think there's a slow harmonizing happening where more teachers are engaging in their in their learning, not just the teaching, in their learning and sharing that as well. So um, posting, you know, something that they're doing away from education, but is helping their sort of connection to their classroom, their connection to their kids, their their wellness, their reinvigoration and their craft, all these things. And I think important to look at learning portfolios in a diverse enough fashion that you are including stuff that doesn't by nature seed in the classroom but you know darn well when you're talking when you just the act of blogging alone is a frame that looks real outside of edu or inside of edu but that i wanted to get so here's the thing that I'm, I'm i'm wrestling i'm wrestling with a little bit i'm really wrestling with this concept about 21st century learning 
and I was talking with my colleague today and asking her if she remembers. Um, do you remember ever anyone saying, I said to her, um, this is really cool because we're doing 20th century learning. <laughs> and then I guess if, you know, we could go a little, we could go a little bit further back and I could ask someone, do you ever remember anyone bragging that we are just on the cusp? We need to start doing 19th century learning. And I mean, you can go, there's a lot of different iterations of this. Absolutely. I love you got the laugh out. I think you, you get where I'm going with it. But here's, here's, here's my question in this. And it's in the, it is directly to you. I'm curious as to what your, your POV on this is, what your point of view is. What's so special about 21st century learning? And I ask that with, with absolutely zero sarcasm and zero sort of like, I'm not trying to do a setup. I'm really like for you, what is it? What's the thing about 21st century? I've said it. I've said it in <laughs> class and to parents. I've said it at, at presentations. I've probably blogged about it or at least liked somebody else's thing about 21st century. And then someone has a, a skill set that they posted the difference between now and then for you. What is the salient? What are the salient points of 21st century learning? Well, I'm feeling like I'm a, par a parent right now, a parent teacher interview. Like, okay, uh, uh, Mr. Dubois, tell me a little about this 21st century learning. No, it's it's yeah. it's a big question, and it's funny because we're 17 years into uh, this apparent 21st century learning piece. Yet, I think the first time I heard about it was maybe two years ago. Um, so yeah. it's it's. Uh, how, how has that become kind of a buzz phrase for what learning's supposed to feel like? Um, so when mm -hmm. you see certain documents out there, they're referencing the four C's or the six C's or the deep learning and all that kind of stuff. And um, I've just kind of come and up And modern with, learning, modern learning. Yeah, modern, modern the whole idea of modern, yeah. As yeah, as opposed to who knows what. Um, Someone said that in the 18th century. They're saying because every century is pretty much modern learning. <laughs> that time I was sarcastic, but I do want to get so 21st century learning. What's the thing? What's the thing? Well, I do you know what I, I kind of came up with my own thing because it, it's it's it just seems like documents that have certain buzzwords and it involves things like collaborative, creative, um, you know. Uh, reaching beyond classroom connecting and all those sorts of things and I'm thinking oh my goodness like when was there a classroom where there there wasn't connecting in some kind of way or collaboration <laughs> and going back to my own short lifespan when it's you know 20th century learning um, I'm pretty sure I was doing yes. some of those things so um, I, I kind of just developed my own little mantra and um, I, I put it up on, on my on top of my smart board it says create explore digitize reflect connect and when I kind of talk at conferences and things like that and do little presentations, I'm like, we try to get everything to go back to those five keywords. So we're looking at creating mm -hmm. and exploring. Um, to me, if a task involves creation of a, of, a, of a product versus handing something in, are we publishing? Are we creating? Are we um, adding to content? Are you creating content or are we just consuming it? Um, in terms of digitization, I love writing on paper. Um, and I mean, Me I'm too. Trying to, I, I actually, right. Like I'm, I'm trying to use, however, I'm trying to use as little of it as possible in my classroom just for many, many reasons, because it ends up in a classroom situ situation, becoming a piece of paper in a large pile of things and you stare at it and you, you need to get your feedback on it. But I'm much quicker at giving feedback digitally, um, than I am like handwriting per se. Also we're also trying to make kids these um, like stewards of our, of our planet. <laughs> you look at the paper going on in the classroom, you're thinking this can be done differently. Um, and then when I bring it back to reflecting and connecting that last piece I mentioned before, I'm reflecting on myself too. And I'm reflecting on like when my wife goes to work, how much paper is she bringing home? Well, she's not, she's opening up her laptop and she's continuing work digitally, right? She's continuing that conversation. And it doesn't involve a lot of paper. Um, so I, uh, that 21st century learning piece to me has definitely meant kind of jumping on, and it's not a bandwagon, but the, the technology piece and thinking it's not just computer lab anymore. We've moved beyond that. It's not just the twice a week. It's the, is this a tool that kids use the same way they used a pencil? Um, a message is a message. And it, to me, it doesn't matter how a kid is sharing that message as long as the message is done mm -hmm. and the message meets my criteria. So in, in, in my room to me, 21st century learning 
means it's there's 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 choice. Um, I think we're honoring the learner a lot more and and differentiating, and we have the opportunity to do that now with technology because the multiple entry points are just something I couldn't necessarily offer as easily eight years ago. Um, but to me as well, in the 21st century, my classroom should not just be room 205 upstairs of my very old school building. Uh, kids deserve more than that. They come from the real world where you have the world in your pocket, right? Um, mm -hmm. So how are we honoring that too? Like, what are we preparing them for? And how are we trying to not ignore the fact that that's out there? How are we pulling that into our everyday lesson planning? How do tools authentically look? similar to tools people might use in the real world because whenever I give a, you know, like a, a, a cool task for, for friends to do and they get to use an iPad or a Chromebook and that's similar to something they see their parents doing, they're, they're pretty jazzed about that, right? Because that's what they see. That's what mom and dad do. They don't come home with duotangs and write on paper very often, but they know they're using social networks to share and, mm -hmm. and collect and learn and question. And there's a huge piece around that so now i mean digital citizenship's massive and so important yeah but i mean that's that's key to everything we're doing because information has changed so again that's a terribly long uh, definition to um a, a quick Dude, question I, that i will tell you that is a it is not i'm glad i'm happy that you honored it with sort of with with the detail because i will tell you there's there's unicorns in our conversations that we assume everybody understands. And that concept of throwing around 21st century learning is not clear. It is not clear. And I think the bravery to declare what part of it you're espousing is the start of unwinding that. And if we're really honoring some of the elements of 21st century learning, which includes words like personalized and in-time learning, and learn when you want, how you want, then it also means you have a right to a part of 21st century learning that is yours. That's your POV. That's how you come at it. This is what you're kind of trying to grow in self and in students. So that was totally on point. The other side to it too is I totally surprised you with the question. So I mean, all things considered, you <laughs> threw down well. You, to you totally threw down well on that. And, and, um, and I what, if I can add something go, really, go really ahead. quickly. Uh, too it's it's yeah. um, it's it's that that trust factor with kids and again like mm -hmm. at, the, at the younger end of the spectrum and when you look at digital citizenship and we we are concerned with ideas of the safety and and these kids being kind of exposed but as teachers we like we take it so seriously professionally like that protectionist piece and so when we're when we're modeling social media as a way to share messages it's done so carefully. And I have really found that um, at, at first when I had a lot of iPads in my room, I'm thinking, how am I gonna manage their access to the internet? I can't be everywhere at once. There's only so much filtering that the board puts into these devices. How am I gonna manage? But when you talk about digital citizenship and the importance of representing your character and your being as a digital person, and going back to the George Kuros piece that you said where if that high school kid's leaving with a portfolio and that portfolio is the new version of a report card, what does their social media interaction look like? Are they using their power for good, right? Are they creating mm -hmm. content that's meaningful and it's contributing to citizenship and all, all those pieces? With those kids in my class, I can trust them 100%. They own that so seriously, and they also know that technology and access to that as a tool is, is it really kind of is a privilege, um, at least in, in my board, where there's different amounts of access to technology depending on from room to room or school to school. So we have a lot of devices in my room, and the kids are very aware that that's a special opportunity. Um, and as a result of that and the discussions we do in September, I never have to deny kid access to the apps and putting stuff on Google and sharing in certain ways because they really honor that and they feel the importance of publishing and putting out there and that representing themselves. It's okay. 
so I made another cool connection through Twitter. Uh, her name's Allison. <laughs> I know that she and I will be in a conversation at some point. Do you know? Do you do you have any suspicion of the Allison of which I speak? Well, if it's the Allison that in her Twitter profile uh, calls herself an energetic energy ball, I think we're talking about the same Allison. <laughs> so I love making these connections, right? It's almost like our, our, our strands were always meant to cross somehow. I love that that was so natural. So we are speaking of the same Allison. Yes. So here's the deal, right? I, I was speaking with her, talking with her on Twitter one time, and she totally rocked me. Like just, it was like a left-right academic uh, combo that just made me sit back and kind of go, I don't know if I'm doing the right work. So here's 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 a little bit. I can only do snapshot. You'll have to wait for the podcast for the full conversation. But anyways, here's the snapshot. Um, she challenged me with the concept of, not the concept, but the intent of global goals. So yes. I got this thing rattling around in my head where I say, I've been teaching for over a decade and I don't know if I've been doing a really good job of making these connections. I have had access to technology that would springboard my students learning and connectivity to the worldwide classroom for quite some time. And now you and I are talking about digital citizenship and I'm curious about what that challenge looks like. I wrote down quickly just above on the little note here is that the concept of digital citizenship, I look at it two ways and this is why it's really slightly controversial for me. Is digital citizenship a superpower that if you have the privilege of access, then you have the responsibility to act? That's my first part, which is just like, that's where it knocked me on my butt, right? Mm -hmm. The second part comes around, you know, what are the obligations? So it's the rights and responsibilities. If we're talking about citizenship, we'll use some of the curriculum lingo, the rights and responsibilities. So what is it that you get and what is it that you should be doing? And what does that look like to an elementary student? Um, Allison and I have had uh, a number of conversations about the continuum of the, of the student. So she's an intermediate teacher based in Ottawa and she's kind of an edu hero in so many ways in terms of like she's rocking student voice and um, her the creative way that she just honors students uh, amplifying what they can, how they can. Uh, it's it's fantastic. So we actually did a, um, a kind of a YouTube live Mad PD event together. We on a Google Hangout and we kind of threw back um, questions back and forth. And even though we live in different worlds, right? When she's dealing with thirteen year olds and I'm dealing with nine year olds, um, again we come back to the the issues are the same. Um, I think what changes is my role. My role and um, and I, I think this is so key when we have primary kids going into early junior. We need kids to be understanding that that is a call to arms in a sense, right? You have that access. What are you going to do with it? Um, so when we have like we have acronyms like the think acronym is what you're posting, you know, thoughtful, mm -hmm. how's it? like different ways for kids to grab on an easy way, like that, that anchor chart that you have up in your room. Um, but kids don't read anchor charts, right? We, we do that teaching, they can tell you what's on it, and we move on and they don't look back at that poster necessarily unless you're pointing at it. Um, that's just not the way of the brain works necessarily of an eight or nine year old. So when mm -hmm. we- Or mine. Correct, correct. <laughs> Me as a teacher, I'll say, go, but go. Yeah, so a, a big word that came out of that discussion when we were kind of um, just, just chatting like we are now, and I mean, I haven't met her in person, again, a, a connection through a colleague, and you kind of find this like spirit in a different location, and you're like, you immediately gel. Um, it's just those, those long conversations with her, and it comes down to scaffolding. Right. So okay. where where does scaffolding language, scaffolding usage, scaffolding um, and, and in my end, like this is the first time kids have touched apps half the time. These kids don't have access at home. So I have to teach the app itself as well as the purposes for using it. And then the reflection piece on how did that go? What can I do with it now? Um, Mr. D is going to post that on Twitter for me. Why is he doing that? Like that whole piece. Um, 
Scaffolding just means that as a primary junior teacher, we're doing a lot more talking about the how, we're pulling back a lot, reflecting, we're looking at our peers, samples, and really kind of developing success together as a whole class slowly with release mm -hmm. from the teacher, um, slowly being released where we see more independence. So here we are at the end of the year where I can say, oh, let's think about this, this, and this. Kids are jumping on. They know how to use it safely. They know where the limits are. They know how to be a safe uh, uh, person. They also know that they need to honor audience or their work is meaningless. If their work falls on deaf ears because they're not using the right um, pieces to grab attention and, and all those things we've talked about, um, they do that much more naturally now after 10 months of gradual release. Then you have Allison, you have friends up in the intermediate world where you can kind of rock and roll in a sense early on in the school year. If they had someone like myself in grade three getting that ball started. So when we look at the continuum yeah. over the years, how is that release eventually becoming looser and looser? Can we continue to trust the students along the way if that digital citizenship piece, that safety piece, that honoring that the, the importance of their message when they put things out there, what that means and how you can make change with sharing outside of those four walls. If that's modeled, supported and scaffolded throughout all the years, ideally by the time friends get to Allison's room, they should be ready to be feeling like they can make a difference and be independent mm -hmm. and safe and have really meaningful discussions using social media. Right? So yeah, we've chatted so, about so, that a lot. So so tell me, tell me then, um, does any moment come to mind where you're just, where you noticed you're like, they totally got it. They totally rock that. Like where you know, so if we take the theoretical off of it, do, do you have, you know, a, a, kind of an example or a thought where you're like, yeah, that project nailed it. That kid or that group of kids, they really showed not only the sort of like their obligation to kind of create and create well and all that, but they were also so well um so well anchored in their understanding of that it was the right tool um, and it's uh, kind of a, a challenging question but do, does a project or an activity come to mind where you're just like that was just so awesome it's do you know what it, it is those larger um like problem-based learning uh projects where they're they're exhausting in the sense that they're big and you're giving kids some control over what's happening and halfway through as a teacher sometimes you want to pull out your hair and you're thinking this, exactly. this, this isn't working um, but then when you finally come together at the end and like like I was saying before I'm big about authentic audience so um, we're doing one on community citizenship and reaching out to seniors a lot this year seeing how their role mm -hmm. as elder can inform our role as the new hope <laughs> for the town in a sense um, and pulling that in with historical research and we we created, uh, for instance, like TED Talks, like TED style talks with um, uh, archival photography we found and we linked with museum and mm -hmm. we linked with librarians and it was a, just a massive, massive project. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. But before I start anything, I always have the end in mind and I'm like, we're going to, um, I, we're gonna like talk to council. We're gonna make sure the mayor can come. We're gonna make sure the superintendent can come. We're gonna have a big community event and these kids are going to be on stage and we're going to have a film fest where their TED Talks are being shown. Um, and I know I have eight weeks to make that happen. And kind of when you give that pressure to the kids, they know first that someone's going to be seeing something before we even start talking about the project. Um, so having an authentic reason to produce and having that there the whole time, um, when it came down to the end of that eight weeks, that night on that stage where we showed our TED Talks, we showed our, um, we did green screen bilingual community tours with photography they took around the community. We interviewed seniors and used quotes. We looked at nonfiction text features. We put stuff on websites. We did so many different kinds of products along the way. And it was all new, so it's all learning. So there's still that scaffolding piece. But when it came down to those kids being on that stage, having their work shown in a big old historical theater um, with the mayor there, the like town council, seniors that they'd interviewed. So they felt accountable to honoring that information they got from those interviews. And um, it was incredible. It, it was probably like one of my favorite teaching 
nights in my in my career. Um, it was just impact was massive. Parents didn't know what to do with it. It was just a huge big event, and then just to kind of cap it all off. Um, the way we pitched our TED talks, I'm like, what are three things we can fix with our community? We're looking back. Where do we go next? That's where you come in. So you've done the research. You've talked to the seniors. We've identified problems in our community. We've talked about the, the big historical pieces, but you're going to be a counselor. So what's your three-point plan to make this place better? So we had the mayor watching these videos of these nine-year-old kids saying, the seniors need to have a pool in their new home because they're not getting enough exercise and like those sorts of things. It was funny one after the next. And it was just, so the crowd was laughing That's because awesome. when a nine-year-old says it, it, it seems cute, but their message was big. Anyways, the mayor dropped in our, my classroom on the following Monday. Um, and he kind of came unannounced and said, can I talk to you guys for a sec? Um, so my students were like, okay, <laughs> big eyed. And, uh, and he comes, he's like, do you know what? First of all, you know, congratulations on this big event. Um, I didn't know what to expect and you guys kind of blew me away. Um, but then he said, but I heard you. And guess what? I sit on the, you know, the, the planning committee for the new seniors home. And I heard many of you say that the seniors think that they need a pool. And I promise you, I'm going to bring that up on your behalf. He's like, they might say no, but they might say yes. So he said, know that you made a difference. And that was for me big and he left and I kind of just looked at the kids and didn't say anything like and I just mouthed the word like WW like wow like do you see what just happened there mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they almost needed help to understand that something they did was potentially making a difference in a big big way right so all that work was worth it and the second I saw them understand that work was worth it they knew that uh, having an audience and knowing why they're making something, having that drive of where that could be an end result. Um, it was magic to see that happen. That's awesome. That's awesome. I would, okay. So me doing your, uh, you know, lurking on your blog and reading your feed and um, have, have you transformed have you transformed yourself in the last two years? Would you say that you've, you've kind of transformed the way that you exist in your class, notice your students, include technology where possible, drive at sort of like, you know, I wrote down something here, I might get to it, but it's sort of like the, the difference between planning for a future versus creating the future. Have you shifted yourself such that, you know, like three years ago, you are... A very different educator it's um, it's it's huge and uh, like this was the end of year 11 for me and I, I say this all the time I wish I could go back and redo the first eight um, I feel like if I could have given those kids what I'm giving to or what I believe I'm giving my students now um, things would be very mm -hmm. very different that being said <laughs> 10 years ago um, our learning environment was very different but I, I feel of course I, I have um, I believe more in what I'm doing now and that that transformation piece honestly was probably sparked mostly by just bumping into a, co a colleague who said jump on Twitter like jump on Twitter yeah. put your thoughts in a blog you're kind of a creative guy or whatever that means um, Mm -hmm. you share someone might be interested even help one for, like one teacher out there and and my big thing too is like we live in these rooms beside each other we're never in each other's rooms except at recess when teaching isn't mm -hmm. happening so we don't see that magic and yeah. we can share stories after but i learn best from watching people that are good at what they do and we don't get that opportunity yeah. very often so i'm like do you know what screw like i i'm i'm going to start a blog um probably no one cares but uh, it's a step, and I like to read what others are doing. I learn from that. I'm appreciative. So, so Twitter really put a spark in me, and I'm thinking, whoa, right? When you look beyond the silo of your building, when you look beyond the silo of your board, um, when you look beyond what's happening in your country, and you're thinking, there's so much awesome out there, and I get these little snippets of awesome <laughs> coming to my phone every day, and I grab onto that one, and I grab onto that one, and I'm like, I will try a, a nine-year-old version of that one, right? So something like an Allison might be doing, how can I do my version of that? Yeah, it's going to involve more scaffolding and more this and more that and um, more time, but it's worth it. It's worth it. 
Um, so just kind of jumping on the social media bandwagon in that, that being in that um, world where now I, I look to my phone to say, what's next? What's new? What's exciting? And uh -huh. there's usually an answer to that. Someone's posted something that I did not think of and it changes what I might do tomorrow. It, it changes what I might do in three months and puts a spark that stays there. It stays there until finally that new year started and that unit starting and then I'm like, this is where that fits. And you, you take that idea and it changes everything. Um, so what I've done, my I think my big change over the past two years, looking at that is just saying to myself, just try it, right? Um, don't, I, I feel like I'm less married to the curriculum, but because of that, because I'm, I'm trying new things, I'm very mindful of making sure I'm covering big ideas and the big questions and the big framework pieces. So, and because we're doing so much reflection on what we do now, it's like we're going deeper with the big stuff. Um, I, I still cover the small stuff, but I would say the importance of that in my programming's really, really changed. And to me, the mm -hmm. kid, the kid voice, the selection and product, the what's your audience for this, and why are we talking about this? What's the whole purpose? That word of purpose is new. And before, I didn't really necessarily care what the purpose was. I knew I had to teach it. Um, but now I want the kids to know why they're learning it and making them connect to their community and their environment and why is their life the way it is and how is it shaped by the politics and how is it shaped by the environment and how is it shaped by family and identity and all those sorts of things. So we're, I think we're doing a lot more talking. Um, we're taking a lot more risks in terms of things we're doing. Uh, there's a lot more failure. Um, and they see me fail all the time in front of the class um, because we're trying so many new things. That's just part of how we learn. Um, so that growth mindset, I'm modeling that very honestly. And um, I think it, it, uh, it reduces tension in a lot of ways. It's okay for kids to make mistakes. And if they can get to the big ideas, maybe the little jumps along the way weren't so pretty. But I'm just looking for that big idea. Did they really get it? Right? So that's changed everything in my classroom. It truly has. It's here. I, I I need to I, get, I need to press pause on this just for one moment because there's um, someone there, there's someone that's going to hear this podcast and what I really really need for them to take f from your growth as an educator is that somewhere in the range of two to three years you've come to be this person that's talking right now. You've shifted. You've become more excited. You like I. You sound like you're like you're excited. <laughs> you're. I yeah. think that this might be part genetically speaking. But I think <laughs> like you're. Yeah, like you're just you're joyful, man. So the but the the idea that someone's listening and say yeah, but like they need to hear your. They need to really just pause for a moment. Like this guy is like really satisfied with the work that he's doing. He's happy. He's positively representing his growth over the last two to three years and he's admitting that he shifted he said i need to do something differently and and that's really really important because i've met individuals that say well i don't know if i can do this yet they're sort of saying they're not really not in not entirely satisfied with what they're doing but it can be done it can it's totally be done it, it can be done, and if, and if there's one um, kind of message too, like when, I, let's say I'm doing like a little, um, you know, like a, a, a session for some teachers or something like that, um, I'm like, where do you get your inspiration from? And I, yeah. like I, I haven't opened up a textbook in years, and like, I, I, kids aren't excited about that. Uh, and to be quite honest, I, when I look at lessons, I, so I'm thinking about my kids. I, I, I keep that dad hat on. I feel that's a, a fortunate viewpoint that I have. And I have kids at the age where I'm teaching. So I know what they're connecting to. So I'm like, and am I kind mm -hmm. of in the heads of those kids? Do I understand what they're excited about? Because if I can't build excitement, I'm dead in the water, right? Um, yeah. But the, the other piece of that too is after doing this for 11 years, the cycle of teaching I've found... Um, and, and, and bored is not the right word and I, I don't know the correct synonym nope. for this but I'm tired of the cycle I'm, um, it's a let's complete the unit start next unit 
start over. It's it's the repetitiveness of that is starting to wear on me now. Um, it's just been too much. It's been more than a decade of getting go, pause, stop, reflect, report card, da 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 da. And I'm thinking, oh, so for my own interest's sake, and you said you think you might have like adult onset ADHD, and I, my wife would agree with you that I am suffering through that too. Um, I need. To <laughs> I'll actually just argue. My mine's entirely set. It's not coming. It's here. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I don't have a suspicion. I think I'm entirely like I'm no. just flowing with it at this point. <laughs> no, and and I think it's just listening to that. So honestly, when I say to, to teachers, what's inspiring you to to create your lesson today? And I hold up a flyer. Um, I talk about a Netflix show. I talk about this or that. I hold up my phone. Um, I have an infographic from a book. I hold up a National Geographic. And I'm like, these are the things I do in my free time. Um, how can I make kids' products look like this? Because this is what I want to see. This is what I'm interested in. There's this amazing show on Netflix, and it's called um, Abstract. And it's all about the top uh, designers in the world. The guy who invented the Air Jordan. Love it. Um, Love it. The uh, someone who does design with light, and she lights up um, like U2's concerts. So how do you play with space? And thinking, man. So when I watch that show, I'm thinking I can have kids do that in my classroom with this, with green screen, and all of a sudden they're talking about X, Y, Z. It looks like rock and roll, right? And it's just mm -hmm. it's 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 modern. It's today. It's relevant. And I'm excited to see it because I'm. I talk like this when I'm teaching it. I'm excited because I saw it the night before on Netflix and I'm thinking, or how do we recreate this really cool flyers talking about, um, you know, saving trees from the emerald ash borer, but it's done with literally eight words, yet it's so powerful. So I'm thinking we could write a paragraph about this, but how can you make this message with that image? Let's make our own version of this. And I'm holding it in my hand. I'm like, I got this in my mailbox yesterday. So when I talk about inspiration, that's what inspires me. It's real world stuff. And I want kids to create yeah. real world stuff. And I don't go to textbooks. And I look at the curriculum. I look at framework questions. And then I look at the, out the window and I kind of think, how do we get there? And how do we make it real? And who can we connect with? Um, because that's fun for me. And hopefully that transfers down to kids having um, energy and trying to to solve it along with me, right? So here's 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 the last throwdown I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put to you. So I've seen I've seen your you you blend music with your lessons. Um, I've seen the video. I watched your the Cirque du Soleil uh, sort of <laughs> tribute. That that was awesome. Um, I loved the outdoors soundscape of playing um, the guitar in the round and and blending in the sounds from outside i think you firmly represent um i was talking to someone else you know that idea that there's things that individuals like you do in the classroom that someone would say wow that's like the teaching of the future like it's i don't know how i would ever get there <laughs> and i like to stop and say no that's the teaching of the now that that is that is the teaching of the now so let's let's talk about how more people can kind of get connected with it so that's my setup for this question. You got brave locked, okay? You got brave locked. You've got creativity that fuels the fire. What's a thing that you know your brain is plotting and planning right now that's just kind of giving you just a little bit of fear? Just a, just a little bit, enough to kind of like keep you just peeking at it and poking at it. And it could be sort of like, yeah, here's a thing I'm going to try in 1718 or long range. You know, I hope to kind of get to this place with this thing. What is it that's giving you that? Um, what I'd say, like I, I, somewhere else I wrote sort of like that idea of losing control fearlessly. Wow. And, and to, to choose one thing, my brain's just all over the place. So there's probably like a hundred things. Brag, brag. Brag. Um, <laughs> Throw down a brag. At this point, you 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 are do it. Throw down a thing. <laughs> uh, um, I, I I think what I'd go back to. We actually had the conversation today. I mentioned earlier that um, I I was able to uh, um, use some release time and get together with my um, team uh, that's moving forward with our ministry project for next year, and it's okay. very much based in reflection. Is very much based in saying. We need kids to do that, reflect, connect. Are they going to jump and do that with a video? I don't care. Are they going to write about it? I don't care. Are they going to use a crazy app? Go nuts. 
the scary thing for us is that the process we're recognizing is we need to start doing that ourselves as teachers. So we've committed to mm. videotaping reflections on horrible days, videotaping uh, reflections on fantastic days, and those reflections are going into a Google site where we can all kind of look together and we're going to crunch data on our own kind of perceptions of how things feel to introduce kids to this idea of reflection. So we're kind of putting ourselves in as learners and we're going to point point fingers at ourselves. So I think that's my big fear, try something scary piece because as teachers, we don't cool. do that a lot. That's cool. That's very cool. Uh, curious, is it going to be open domain or protected domain? Like a year from now, because we'll stay connected. Can I just be, you know, yo, can I see that from the outside? Or is this going to be locked inside your school board's domain, do you think? There's there's some pieces there. So the data crunching will be done by my professor friend from Western. So that will become a paper right. chill, right? So that'll be very much done with proper consents and things. However, gotcha. blogging about the process, that's that's my role. And the tweeting yeah. about the process and, and storifying our year of what this looks like and how uncomfortable it is, but the growth we're seeing and how it's affecting students, most importantly, that's our, that's going to be our story that we want to share and say there's there's value in this, right? Dude, it's the right wagon to jump on. It's <laughs> totally the right wagon. No, it, it is. It, it totally is. Man, I loved this conversation. <laughs> so did I. This was a really great. Yeah, this was. A, yeah, and like I've added stuff to my notes here. So, like I said, at some point I'll shoot that off to you. Amazing. But um, really, from the from the from the bottom of my pedagogy and everything that it's edu me and and just the dude, I I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I really do. Well, Phenomenal. hey, I, I love that you're putting yourself out there and you're doing all these pieces I'm talking about. You're doing on your own accord, on your own time, and you're connecting with educators. And what that does for people like me is it, it lights those sparks. And it's those teachers cool. willing to take a risk and share. And that's what I want, because that's what's great about this profession is that tomorrow's a fresh day. Right. And there's nothing set in yeah. stone saying I can't start from scratch tomorrow this way because that teacher inspired me um and it's 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 friends like you that put people out there and that platform's there for those of us that are ready to accept it it's there so the thanks goes to you chris this was a lot of fun yeah you're welcome thanks man well let's say you know enjoy the last the last week in change Indeed. and i definitely look forward to following the, the, the rest of your posts that you push out and good luck with the TLLP like seriously good luck with that that's a that's a that's a great a great I've heard a lot I actually had to ask someone to clarify it for me I think that's a, it's a phenomenal project to get involved with so the best of luck with that dude hey stay tuned there's good stuff to be shared for sure I love it well have a good night and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll pass each other at some point in the digital hallways okay I look forward to it thank you Chris you're welcome take care Chasing Squirrels podcast can be found on iTunes and Podbean. If you want to reach out to me and have a conversation, I can be found on Twitter at Chris J. Clef. I also have a blog on Blogspot of the same name, Chris J. Clef. And some of my postings can be found on Medium, which I think I have under the exact same name. I really appreciate the time that you spent with the podcast this evening. If you ever want to be on the podcast, please reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to talk with you. And I am truly, truly grateful for you sharing your time with me. Take care.